0: Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com.
1: Welcome to the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger along with uh, Frank Saravalli coming to you from uh, Philadelphia. I'm in uh, St. Albert, just outside of uh, Edmonton, the Canada U.S. version once again. Frank, how are you doing on a Monday? I'm good.
2: Episode nine. We're cruising along, Jason.
1: Yeah, we are. And we uh, we got a new sponsor. We're going to uh, introduce them in a, in a second. So that's always good. It's uh, good to see that uh, companies are enjoying what we're doing. And uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Tell all your friends to download it. Uh, we got another great guest today. Two-time Stanley Cup winner, Jared Stoll, will join us a little bit later on. Uh, I think he'll have a really good uh, version of Daryl Sutter. There's lots of stories about Daryl Sutter. So I thought we'd get a guy on who, co- who played under him and uh, obviously won with him for A few years and because sometimes I think uh, I hear certain regards about Sutter, and I'm not sure it's accurate based on what players say. So we'll, we'll get to that. And uh, Stoll obviously uh, is player development for the uh, Ontario Reign and the Kings organization, so we can talk a little uh, youth as well. Uh, Frank, I, I do want to uh To get to a a few things, uh, you know, unique weekend. I know, frankly, how about let's get to frankly speaking right away today. Let's go a little bit different just because it is the topic du jour that everybody's focused on. So uh, let's get frankly speaking with Frank Saravali.
2: Quite frankly, Jason, I will not be shedding any tears for Tom Wilson, but I do have some significant concern about the NHL and the way that they've handed out some justice here with the department of player safety. Now everyone has seen the hit by this point, Tom Wilson on Brandon Carlo on Friday night. And look, I I, I'm certainly not going to say that it was a clean hit. I don't think anyone that is a fan of the game likes to see anyone's head being rammed off the boards. And that if you look through and and read between the lines of my tweet, that's not what I was suggesting at all. By now I've been blown up. I think that is the definition, Jason, of being ratioed. And there were more than a thousand replies to my tweet on Friday night, which said that I don't believe that the hit was illegal. Now, the fact that the NHL's department of player safety has suspended Tom Wilson seven games for boarding would suggest that, you know, and the fact that they didn't get him for an illegal check to the head would suggest that at least the initial premise of my tweet was right. And I'm not sitting here to toot my own horn. That's that's not at all what I'm saying. My issue is with the process. To this point, if you followed along with the Department of Player Safety, you know that there's a process to everything. The first question is, which rule was broken Then the second one is, was there an injury on the play? And, of course, Brandon Carlo was taken to the hospital, and it seems like he's going to be out for a while. No one wants to see an injury or anything like that. Uh, We wish Brandon Carlo the best in his recovery. But then the next question is, what's the precedent? And now Tom Wilson is the first player in NHL history to be suspended for boarding on a hit that was not a check from behind. And so what I think happened here is – the NHL's Department of Player Safety went through this process. They realized that by their own precedent and process and history that he had not broken a rule that would get him suspended based on past precedent. And so rather than go through that process and say why Tom Wilson got off the hook based on a technicality here, they went through the rulebook and found a technicality, which – if you look at the definition of boarding says that a player uh, doesn't mean just for boarding, that it's only a hit from behind. It can come from any direction. So they use that language to suspend him. And I, I just have an issue because it seems like Tom Wilson is playing by a different set of rules than everyone else. If someone else makes that same exact hit, I don't think we're even talking about it. And because it's Tom Wilson, because of his lengthy rap sheet and history and because of his reputation and because everyone sees him as a lightning rod, well, this gave the NHL the opportunity to take a step back. And in in my view, it's essentially like getting Al Capone for tax evasion. You found a way to go through and look at the, the technical wording of the rules and found a way to suspend him for a hit that they believe didn't pass the smell test. And that to me isn't, it goes against everything that this department has done since Brendan Shanahan took over in terms of walking and working their way through that process.
1: It's interesting, Frank, because I know I mentioned it originally online as well. And, you know, when you look at the two angles that they showed of the hit, the first one looks like it is direct contact to the head. The second one clearly looks like he hit him in the chest and then it falls through. it and, and Carlos head smashes against the glass. And that's obvious now. Would his head smash against the glass if there wasn't contact? Well, of course not. So um, it is one. And the other funny thing is here, Wilson isn't technically a repeat offender by the NHL rules. Because that states any if he haven't been suspended in the previous 18 months. Now we could argue that that I'm not sure that makes sense. This guy got suspended for 20 games back in 2018 after being suspended for playoff games earlier in 2018. So he's clearly been suspended before but he's not a repeat offender. So that, Jason.
2: By- let me stop you right there. That only applies the repeat offender within the last 18 months to the financial calculation of what Tom Wilson pays out. So okay. he got hit with a $311,000 fine as it relates to the games missed, but had it, had he been a repeat offender, it would have been a lot more than that because it would have been based on games missed uh, as a percentage instead of just those days. So that's the only way that the repeat offender comes in. Otherwise they can continue to look at him as they have as a, a true repeat offender in the eyes of the department. Yeah. Like his
1: history does come in. So maybe the wording of it, and obviously his history comes in and, but see, that's the, that's the fine line to look at when you're somebody who has a history of this. Now, Tom Wilson does deliver hard checks, even when they're clean, you know, he's somebody who, it's a skill to be a hard hitter. Now, some will say he's a predator, and there's there's ample example of that, but then there are cases when he hits somebody hard that's clean. And so if he does that, should he be suspended for it? It's it's a great topic because people, now Carlo's injured, he's got a head injury, so no one wants to see that. So I don't have a problem with Tom Wilson being suspended, but you, you are true and accurate in your suggestion that, and, and maybe people will say, well, it's his fault because he's earned this reputation. So he now gets treated differently than someone else. And it's like if you have three kids and you have one kid who's always acting out, well, you're probably more likely to, you know, come down harder on them than you would on the two kids who never do anything wrong. So it is it is fascinating. Now, where do you come out on the capitals? Because, you know, Peter Laviolette, said, uh, like, you might as well take contact out of hockey. Uh, Alex Ovechkin, this is kind of a joke. Um, I expect an organization to, to stand behind their guy. Others are saying that Washington needs to come out and say enough's enough. What do you? Where do you stand on that?
2: I, I think every team in the league would like to have Tom Wilson. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't think um, they're defending him just because he's on their team. I think they are defending him because they look at that and they say, again, the same thing I said earlier, if there was any player in the league that throws the same hit as Tom Wilson, we're not talking about it likely because it's not nearly as violent. Um, And and so I, I get where people are coming from and I get the anger here. Do I like this hit? No, I don't. Do I think it should be in the game? No, I, I think the end result is ugly, but my issue is if you don't like the hit, then we're, that's just a separate conversation because that means that you'd like to have a conversation about changing the rule book. Because if we were playing under IAHF rules, that's an illegal check to the head all day. Anytime an opponent's head bounces off the glass, it's an automatic illegal check to the head. And that's just not how this rule is written. And that's not how uh, you know, Rule 48 and this the entire process works. So um, you know, that's my issue with it is that it seems like they're cha- it feels like they're changing on the fly in order to find a way to take w- Tom Wilson out of the game for what amounts to an eighth of a season. Like that's the other thing that people really haven't talked much about is seven games is ten in a normal eighty-two game regular season. So um, it's a lot. It's a significant penalty, and it it is above the threshold for what a normal boarding call would be, and it totally breaks precedent. From any other boarding call in history, anyone that's been made, any suspension that's been made has come from a hit from behind. This doesn't meet that same criteria. So they're taking a step outside of the rule book in order to get Tom Wilson. And I, I just don't like that direction that the player, Department of Player Safety is heading in.
1: Well, Frank, we could have a whole show about hits from behind and the NHL's refusal to crack down on hits from behind. That is my biggest complaint in the league. I see it way too often. Like, they've, they've started cracking down on slew foots. They're finding guys, you know, Pesci got fined, Yamamoto got fined. I know it's a different topic. I'm just saying, hits from behind in the NHL, to me, are one of the most dangerous hits that are rarely even penalized for a minor penalty.
2: I'm, I guess I'm just confused about the entire last week for the department of player safety. Like the Alex Ovechkin nut shot to me, I think was an easy suspendable, like that's a spear all day long. It should have been a major penalty in the game um, at the very least. And I, you could make the argument that it was worth a match penalty. Then you've got the Pesci, as you mentioned, slew foot, which, they find in seemingly record time, the fine was out within an hour of the game ending and they called it a skate trip, not a slew flip. And so it's like, where did this term skate trip come from? I've never heard this in my life. Obviously Yamamoto gets dinged with the same thing, but then we end up with the Tom Wilson. It's like three things in a span of three days. It felt like that, you know, it's almost like they found a way not to suspend Alex Ovechkin and same thing with, uh, the, the Brett Pesci skate trip slash slew foot, And then next thing, you know, they find a way to suspend Tom Wilson. So I, I'm, I'm sitting over here going, what, what's going on? Like I, which way is up? Uh, it is
1: a tough job. I will say that for player safety, but to be consistent, you're right. The, uh, the spear for Ovechkin, I, I found he got off pretty easily. I think hey, superstar treatment, you know, it's, it's Trent Frederick. People are going to say it, there shouldn't be a different set of rules, but there is a different set of rules. And clearly now Tom Wilson is in a different set of rules. So I guess in one sense, Frank, they are consistent. Uh, They give special treatment to superstars and uh, Tom Wilson now will have to uh, abide by a different rule book. And some people are gonna say, you know what? Hey, that's great. Um, Because of his reputation and he's earned his reputation. So he, like, I don't feel sorry for Tom Wilson. I respect how he plays and you're right, Frank, I would agree with you, lots of teams want him, but he's probably gonna have to rethink how he delivers some of his hits.
2: Uh, there's no question about that. And I, I think that you know you would you could argue over the last you know two years, almost three calendar years since his last suspension, that he's found a way to do that. But for whatever reason, over these last couple of weeks, he seems to have taken a step back in in that thinking and and there was a little bit of regression. There was a hit on Jankowski that. A lot of people felt that he should have been suspended for. So he's walking that line and he found the wrong side of it again. And, and you're right. He's going to have to go back to what he was doing that made him so successful and a really valuable player for the caps over the last number of years.
1: Well, and speaking of it from a Boston perspective, I can see why the Bruins are livid because they lost Char and Krug in the offseason. Now they lose Brandon Carlo. And Brandon Carlo's a really good defenseman like that. And you look at that division, the Islanders are rolling. They're now in first place. So, you know, Boston's in a dogfight because there's five teams battling and, and very quietly, the New York Rangers are inching slowly back into contention. So, you know, the Bruins can really ill afford a skid at this point without one of their best defensemen. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be something to watch. Uh, we're going to get to, uh, our guests now and we'll talk a little bit more after, but we got a very special guest guy who, uh, you know, probably has an opinion or two on, uh, on, on hard hits as well, Frank,
2: let's bring in Jarrett Stoll, two-time Stanley cup champion with the Los Angeles Kings.
1: And our, uh, our big guest today is uh, brought to you by our new sponsor on the program, which is uh, Jock Market, Jock MKT. And uh, for those of you who like to have player fantasy, kind of like the stocks, right? That's what you're doing. You get to invest in both with Jock Market. So uh, we'll explain a little bit more in the program what they do. It's really cool to have them on. So if you like to play fantasy and you like the stock market, you're basically going to be doing both of them with NHL guys and Jock Market. So uh, we'll explain a little bit more after uh, we welcome in Jared Stoll. And now we are joined by two-time Stanley Cup champion. He played uh, over uh, 960 games between the regular season and and the uh, postseason, of course, uh, represented his country at the World Juniors two times. He was a World, uh, Memorial Cup champion with the uh, Kootenai Ice. And he is now a member of director of player development for the Los Angeles Kings, Jared Stoll. Stoley, how you doing?
3: Good, good. Not too bad. Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Jeez. Writing your own intro today, I like that. That was nice. But uh, <laughs> you've um,
3: done that. You've done that a couple times, man. You know that. That's <laughs> off my heart right there. Uh,
1: yeah, that's true. I have. Uh, I have introed you a few times for sure. Um, uh, pretty cool setup you got there. Uh, this kind of the world that we live in now, because I know you're working for the Kings and that's your uh, your home setup. But we'll get to the Kings in a sec, but I want to start with a guy that you know very well. Uh, you got your Stanley Cubs in the picture, so Daryl Sutter. He's back in the NHL. There's, there's lots of talk about Sutter, you know, the type of coach. He's really hard on guys. Give me your assessments of how Sutter was for you as a coach.
3: Well, Daryl for me was very, I guess, personable is the first thing that comes to mind. He was very, yeah, he was a hard coach to play for. But, like, who wouldn't want a coach to, you know, take pride in his job, take pride in winning? All a coach wants to do is win. All a player should want to do is win. And, uh, and he made, made that possible for, for all of us. He makes everybody um, around the team just feel, feel so much importance within the team. You know, giving everybody a role. You know, the, my first day, I'll remember my first day, not meeting Daryl, but him, him being with the Kings in the hallway. And he just had a, a talk with pretty much every guy, um, just relaying how important they're going to be to this team. I walked away feeling like, oh, man, I'm ready to go. Like, let's, let's get out there and play a game. I knew exactly where I stood. I knew what my role was. My role changed a little bit when Daryl came in. I was fine with it. Um, you just, you just run with it. And and everybody felt the same. Everybody felt like it, they had a, a real importance, a real role, a job to do on the team. And, uh, and Daryl cared. He cared so much. Um, you know, maybe that's something that, you know, people just see the, uh, you know, the bitter beer face behind the bench and, and how, uh, you know, the stories of, you know, how hard Daryl is to play for and demanding and, yeah, he is, but he but he cares so much and he, you know, he almost treats you like his own son. And I've never had a coach um, care as much about a player and about the team as as Daryl. He um, yeah, he did things differently. Sometimes He's very black and white. Everything was, was spelled out for you. But uh, hey, his teams win and we won because of it. And I'll never have a bad thing to say about Daryl ever.
1: So you mentioned your role change because you were actually – and it, and it's tough because lots of guys like to score points. You were, you were running the power play – well, not running it, but you were on the point on the power play, and then he took you off and just said you're going to be our third-line checking center. You're going to play tough minutes, defensive zone starts. Was it hard to realize that at that point, you know, your offensive numbers were going to take a hit?
3: No, not really. I just – I'm not – I don't consider myself a selfish player. I just, I just want to win. I just want to win games, win a Stanley cup. You know, at that point I hadn't won a Stanley cup before I I was one game away with, uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. And I, I knew how hard that was. And I I know how hard that hurt. It still hurts. And for us to have a chance to win, you just, everybody needed to, to buy in and it changed a little bit. It was, wasn't going to have the, uh, I'm around the point, and probably like you said, more goals, more points. But um, if that's what it took to win, everybody had to, like I said, buy in and just just play their role. And I knew I could play that role. Uh, it's not something that I I think was over my head. Um, I knew I could I knew I could play it, so that's what I did.
2: Jared, what is the style of a Daryl Sutter coach team? How does he want to play?
3: Uh, just hard. Be hard to play against. You know, our teams in LA when we were, you know. Playing well and winning, uh, there was three or four years there where I think most people would say this when they come into L.A. or they came into L.A., they knew they were in a battle. They knew it was going to be hard to win. Um, they probably knew it was going to be a low-scoring game, uh, physically tough. And that's why in a seven-game series, the Daryl Sutter coached team in a seven-game series, it, it's, it's going to be tough. you got to beat, you got to beat them four times. And, you know, we were down 3 nothing to San Jose. And I remember Daryl's quotes were after the game. Is we're going to be a hard out. That's all he said. We're going to be a tough out. And, and that's just the way he coaches. He wants everybody to play the same way, whether you're Anze Kopitar or whoever me, it's uh, you got to play hard every single shift or you're not going to play. It doesn't matter. You're not going to play if, if you don't deserve to. So that's, that's pretty much what I could say about Daryl's coaching.
2: You mentioned the bitter beer face and, and that idea in some ways he's kind of like he's a caricature at times or a cartoon. Um, and I'm curious, like I've spent a little bit of time around him. Um, and, you know, the, the other part, if it's not, you know, some sort of cartoon drawing of his face, it's the idea of, you know, the jolly rancher, the, the farmer, how, you know, what's he like away from the rink, like, um, you know, spending some time around him?
3: Very easy to have a conversation with, you know, I'm sure people that, you know, even at the rink, uh, he could easily talk to you for an hour you know, easily. I remember one, um, the outdoor game here at Dodger Stadium where we played the Anaheim uh, Mighty Ducks and uh, a bunch of, some of my friends came into town. My whole family was here. And uh, one of my best friends, uh, Clint from Saskatoon, he, uh, we had the family skate uh, the day before and my buddy brought his skates and he was skating around and Daryl was just sitting on the bench and, with Chris. And um, he talked to my buddy Clint for like 45 minutes. Like he, was, my buddy still talks about that just uh you know having he actually sent me a picture of it the other day when daryl got hired he he sent me the picture of, of him and daryl just just chatting just BSing about whatever and my buddy thinks he's a lot smarter you know he thinks he knows the game that much better now but uh i can only imagine what they're talking about but but daryl has time for anybody uh, especially if you're going to talk hockey but but anything in life um you know whether it's farming or family you know we all know how important family is and we all know how important Chris is and Wanda to to him so um yeah just a special special man
1: it's interesting you mentioned that I was a young reporter this is probably like I don't know 2003 I think maybe I'd been working for three years and back in when coaches used to come and just sit in the stands and and watch the other teams warm up or not warm up but morning skate and so I was sitting in his section I was new and Daryl sat about a row in front of me and uh, then he turns around, he's asking me a question. Hey, who's that guy? It was one of the orders extras that just got called up. So I told him, we ended up talking about this or that for like 25 minutes. I'm like, here's an NHL coach talks. to no name reporter. And he, and I was asking him questions about his team and he was answering the questions and he was, and then we talked farming, of course, cause I knew that if I could get him on farming, then I would be, I would be in his good books, but he, yeah, that's that's your in right there. <laughs> uh, he, w- he was really, he was very relaxing. And it's funny because you see the serious side of him, and it's almost like once the, like when it's time to, to focus, he's all in, but then he can step back and relax. Now, you guys had some fun with Daryl because, like anything, as you get used to a coach, there's days just like kids and parents, so you don't get along. Is it true that you guys locked him out of the room once? Is that a true story?
3: <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. Um, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll that. <laughs> yeah, I was in Tampa Bay, and uh, you know, what? he deserved it, and he'll he'll probably say that too um we we had a rough stretch we we were losing we were not playing very well and not playing very consistent and yeah we we actually lost to tampa two to one we played our probably our best game in a long time and uh we just we just needed a minute we just needed a minute in the room to ourselves and you know there were some garbage cans involved and some gatorade coolers involved and uh that helped
1: (laughs) so what what did he say when he finally got allowed in the room like was that something you guys? Like, I'm assuming he has a pretty good sense of humor. Like, maybe he doesn't laugh at it at the moment, but it was something that later on down the line he, he would chuckle about.
3: He never got in the room that night. Never? No, he didn't. He just, he just let it go. That's, that's kind of Daryl, too. He, but he understood. I guarantee he understood what, what the message was. And, you know, we needed a minute. We needed a, a players meeting just to talk about things. And, and uh, we move on from there. So, uh, you know, I, I, I imagine I, I pretty much guaranteed that Daryl liked that. Um, and we had a team that could do that. And the types of players that could, um, you know, just have conversations like that. And, and with Daryl, you know, we didn't even have a conversation about that with him and we didn't need to, I didn't think.
2: Yeah. I could see him totally respecting that. Now. do, Do you think it says something that, you know, I guess that was what 2015 that he, he like most GMs might react to that. It's such a reactionary league. Things go sideways, you know, you, you're feeling the pulse of your team you might pull the trigger and say hey we need to make a change in the offseason that was late in the year if i'm not mistaken does it say something about him that he was still there for another two full seasons after that
3: uh i think so yeah because he he can get things back on back on track and he did he proved it with with us um but no i i just think you know when you have the right you know we have, we have so many leaders on that team if you think of, like the guys we had like mike richards carter kobatar Greener, Willie Mitchell, Robin Gear, like those are, Rob area, like those are some guys that have a lot of experience and are guys that are really, really good teammates and bring everybody together. So, um, you know, and then you got Daryl, he's a he's leader in his own right and makes sure the ship is is sailing the right way. And no, I'm not surprised at all. There was some, yeah, there were some great years. Um, then there was a little bit of a, you know, stretch here and there where, where things went, went south, but he could, he could bring it back pretty quick.
2: Okay. I want to change gears now, Jared, and talk about the team that you currently work for. Let's get back to the Kings. What, like, tell us what your role is like. So you're doing some player development work, uh, helping shepherd some of these young guys along, but also doing some broadcasting. How do you split your day and time?
3: Well, I'm very fortunate. Uh, We all are in in player development. Our our minor league team plays out of uh, Ontario, uh, California here. It's about an hour from downtown Los Angeles, but, with this year being what it is, um, the team is actually playing their their games, practices, and and home games at the same facility as as the Kings, in El Segundo. So we get we get you know pretty much hands on every day uh, for sure, three or four days a week. Um, you know we're not coaches, but we're just development fundamentals, uh, a lot of video work with the guys. Just we don't touch system work at all. That's obviously the coaches. We leave that we leave that alone. We just uh, try to get the guys better, what they need to work on and the things that they, you know, their their stuff they're in their game that successful at and they, you know, just try to keep that and maybe improve that a little bit. But, you know, as soon as they get drafted, they come up to the suite. You know, every team has their suite with their management in it and, and staff in it. So we meet the family, you know, the player, obviously, and then the family. And it, it's really cool because I remember when I got drafted and, and doing that and then now I'm, I'm in the suite meeting the grandparents or meeting the brothers and sisters, the parents and, um, you know, having conversations with them. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, And then we have like development camps every year. The kids come in and, um, you know, we run a camp. So it's uh, it's very rewarding when you you see now we're seeing some of our kids, you know, play games. You know, Jared Anderson Dolan played the other night or has has been playing uh, Rasmus Kapari got a game in the last week. Um, you know, and, uh, Arthur Kelly, have played a game this year and there's going to be more guys playing, you know, a game or two or whatever this year. So that's, uh, it's very, it's very rewarding that way. And that's, uh, it's exactly what I wanted to do after I was done playing hockey and, and then the TV stuff, it's just, uh, I do pregame, postgame with, with Fox sports West. It's fun to, it's fun to get on there and talk hockey. And you know, I'm at the games anyways, watching, uh, watching our players. So it's, uh, it's a pretty easy transition.
1: You look at uh, the Kings young guys and I know you're, you're involved heavily with a lot of the forwards, right? Uh, I think uh, Matt Green and a few other guys develop the defenseman. Uh, you mentioned Cali and those other guys, you got Gabe Velarde, right? You've got a lot of young picks coming, Jared. A lot of people look at the LA Kings youth and, How do you balance being patient with it? Because I think organizations, sometimes you see high picks and, oh man, this guy's got a lot of talent, but the reality is most teenagers can't make an impact in the NHL as much as people want them to, they just can't. So where, where, what's the strategy when you look at how many young guys and, and, and how you, as somebody who went through that looks and just says, man, patience is so important.
3: Well, players, it's kind of why it's called development. Like everyone develops at a different at a different age. Very few, like you said, come in and you got you got Crosby, McDavid, maybe Drew Doughty. Like these guys, they're come along every once in a while, and not, not that not that often. So it's it's tough. Kids come in. We're learning that, or they're learning that. The last maybe month of you know playing hockey right now. It's it's hard league, and coming from college, coming from the OHL, WHL, whatever. Uh, these guys all put up they all put up points they all you know like all this guy put up you know 80 points 70 points 100 points if they got drafted or drafted fairly high they should be putting up points like that so that's that is what it is hey congratulations now you're turning pro and you know it's it's a it's a different league you're playing against men you're playing against guys maybe eight years older than you 10 years older than you maybe that have that have went through the wars and the battles and, and it's their it's their life you know some of these guys have families and Um, you know you're not gonna it's not gonna be easy to take jobs uh, from guys so they're learning that right now and you know our minor league team the record isn't uh, it's it's not where they want to be for sure but but they're learning valuable lessons um, on and off the ice you know how detailed you need to be um, you know just be trying to become a pro Uh, and there's a lot of things that go into that so you know they're learning and you know patience is is tough for organizations I think because you're you're in a you know it's you want to win. And when teams aren't winning, you're in that position, you're, you're drafting high and you're, you're in that position because you had been, have been losing. So you want to get back to that as quickly as possible, or I'm sure management and ownership do. So it's tough to, to keep preaching patience, patience, kids, kids develop probably two to three years, I think, um, from when they're drafted for the most part, two to three years until they kind of, you know, get strong enough, you know, realize what it takes to, to, to crack a lineup in the, uh, in the NHL. And, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. You get guys that are drafted at 17, 18 and, you know, by 2021, most of them are, are ready. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of what I believe in. And I think most, most guys would say the same. It's a, it's a tough league. It's crazy. The the difference from the, say junior hockey to college to the AHL is a huge one, but then the AHL, the NHL is even bigger. So it's something that these guys got to realize.
1: So, Jared, uh, outside of the rain, of course, you're seeing the Kings, you're doing analysis on their games. And, you know, I think a lot of people may be a little surprised at how competitive the Kings have been early on this season. Uh, You know, uh, Peterson's come in with quick and giving you, you know, two solid goaltenders, Drew Doughty, Anze Kopitar. Like, you know, they're not old per se, but, you know, give me your thoughts early on on just the play of Doughty and Kopitar and and how good the power play in LA has been, because that hasn't been a strength for a few years.
3: Yeah, no, it hasn't. There's, there's a lot of good things happening. Um, you know, the power play for one, you just mentioned it. It's, it's keeping, keeping them in games. You know, the other night against St. Louis down three, nothing, you know, Jonathan kept, kept the team in it. You know, it was three, one, I think Kobe scored uh, at the end of the first, I believe. So it's three, one and St. Louis had a really good push in the second period, but Quickie kept, kept them in the game. And then I knew they're going to get a power play. And then, you know, their power play has been scoring a goal a game pretty much. So there you go. They get one, and they're back in the game. So they end up winning in overtime. It's uh, it's something. When I played for the Kings, the power play, yeah, it was it was a tough. We were never we were never past fifteenth, I don't think. Um, you know, on the uh, on the power play, we we had it. It was very stagnant. Not much movement. You know, there wasn't many threats. There was, wasn't more than maybe two threats. And now now I think the key is Anze moving side to side. He's not just he's not just um, painted on the one side all the time on his offside. Now he plays the strong side. You know, Dustin Brown's doing a heck of a job in front of the net. I think Brownie has six power play goals right now. And then uh, Drew's shooting the puck more from up at the top. And, you know, he's got a good shot. I wouldn't say he has a bomb like Weber, but Drew's got a good shot and he's scoring some goals this year on the power play. So if you got good goaltending, which they do in those two tandems, like you said, with uh, Quick and Peterson, And then you got a good power play and you play a good system structurally and and they play the, you know, their neutral zone is, is very hard to get through. I think Todd's a really good coach. So you put those things together and they're going to be, I'm not surprised where they are. I'm sure a lot of people are because of the last couple of seasons and we just drafted second overall. So they should be, they shouldn't be, you know, pushing for a playoff spot, but I think we will be.
2: Jared, how different could this team look next year? I'm not asking you to look into your crystal ball, but like, how close are some of these guys that you're working with in terms of being able to make a dent? And who do you have your eye on as some of the next guys to make an impact?
3: Um, uh, you know, there's a couple guys that do, but there's also a couple guys that need, you know, two years or maybe three years. Um, you know, a guy like Rasmus Kupari who just got a game. He's He's developed really nice, um, you know. and Then on the other hand, you you have guys like uh, Arthur Kaliev and maybe Quentin Quentin Byfield. He's he's not going to be that that far along. Um, Arthur Kaliev, they just need to to learn the game a little bit better and you know, how how hard it is to compete, to win a puck battle, uh, to score goals in in uh, in pro hockey, pretty much, you know. And Artie was a, a huge goal scorer in the OHL. You know, fifty goals every year, pretty much almost at ease his shot is so good he would just blow it by goaltenders but now goaltenders are pretty good and and it's hard to score a goal um anyway so it's uh guys like that um alex Turcott, he's uh he's a guy that's uh he's back in the lineup now he's a really really good player the way he battles um his compete level i think that'll you know speed his development up a little bit and uh don't expect him to take too long um got Sean Dursey on the back end uh Tyler Madden he's a really really good player John Madden's son uh smart player I expect him to play some games at some point um who else we got there's there's a lot Sam Fagamo he's uh he was the uh leading scorer in the world junior tournament uh, a couple years ago he's he's maybe a year or two at the most away he's he's a hard-working player who can just score goals just uh, you know just digs and battles and works and Uh, So there's, there's five or six that, uh, you know, within a couple of years should be, should be knocking on the door.
2: And last one for me, Um, we know you as Mr. Aaron Andrews, what, you know, conversation comes naturally to you, but what, uh, what have you learned from your wife about broadcasting and jumping on the air?
3: Uh, Just speak loud. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's one thing she said, especially my first couple of shows. She had just, just talk a little louder. Don't be afraid to, to get the volume up there a little bit. So that was pretty much it. She's very, um, very supportive. And maybe some of the games where I know I'm not very well and what I'm thinking is not what's coming out of my mouth. And, uh, and she's like, it's never as bad as what you think it is. It's maybe never as good as what you think it is, but it's never as bad as what you think. So, um, yeah, no, she's she's great. She's supportive. And uh, when I'm at home and she's on the road, I'm watching football. And then when she's at home on the couch, she's watching hockey and watching me. So it's it's pretty funny.
1: All right, Jared, uh, we we have a fun segment we call uh, Rapid Fire. Get to the questions. uh, You have to answer them, and you can answer them as uh, quick and as uh, efficient as you would like, or as loud uh, as you would like. So uh, let's start. Favorite golf course you've ever played? Uh, Oh, man. Old Head Golf Links in Ireland. All right. After a, a night of scouting or, or doing analysts, what is your cocktail of choice?
3: This quarantine, I'm not, I don't drink much beer anymore, to be honest. It's a calorie thing, but uh, got into tequila soda, probably just for a little nightcap.
1: Okay. Um, you can only pick one. Chris Pronger, 2006, Drew Dowdy, either one of your cup wins.
3: Ooh. That's a good question, bud. Uh, man, it's hard to. You gotta you gotta say when you win, right? But Prongs was. Oh man, I gotta say I gotta say Drew. He he was just so dominant, as was Prongs. But you know, come on, Prongs, you gotta play better in Game Seven.
2: Then I'm gonna, <laughs> you know. We're sending
1: him okay, that clip. no. Yeah. You can uh, you only get to play minor hockey in one place Melville or Yorkton. Which one <laughs> are you choosing? I'll choose Yorkton. I was born in Melville,
3: love Melville, but I uh, played my minor hockey in New Yorkton. So,
1: um, of all your teammates that you played with, who is the best golfer?
3: Justin Williams.
1: Who is the worst? Matt Green. <laughs>
3: Did he show the up at the golf? thing uh, with Greener is he's, he's, he has these little blades. He has the blades that, like, Tiger would play with. Or, like, Rory would play with. They're, they're, like, this, they're like, this thick. I'm like, Greener. Isn't, you know, like those guys that had the Bauer deals and stuff, they had, you know, Nike got them clubs years ago. So those are the clubs he uses. They're, they're like, the, this big. And it's obviously you can't hit them.
1: <laughs> Did he show up at the golf course in his uh, Ford F-150 red truck? Red. Oh yeah. 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 Lastly, of the two post celebrations, which was your favorite 2012 or 2014 and why?
3: 2014, I think, because, you know, 2012, it was just a, it was so much going on. We were like, none of us had been in that situation before. It was just craziness in the dressing room. But 2014, it was like, it was so, it was pretty quiet. Like we, we all sat back and, you know, it was deja vu a little bit, but then it was also just like, you just, there was some new guys on the team. So you're looking around and it's their first Stanley Cup. So you're like, you're just, you're really proud of everybody, but you're like, oh, look at how, you know, Tyler Toffoli reacting or Tanner Pearson's reacting. And, um, you know, Martin Jones, like you just, we were so exhausted because that run was, was so much harder than the 2012 run. So we were just, we just I remember just sitting back, I had my, my feet up, and I was with, I think, Karts was beside me, Brownie was on the other side of me, and we were just like, man, this is crazy. We did it again. And, like, just taking a breath, just taking a deep breath. So I, I remember there were two very different dressing room celebrations, for sure.
1: Well, Jared, it's always good to catch up with you. Uh, continued success uh, broadcasting and developing the Kings players. I know a lot of people are going to be uh, watching to see uh, lots of young guys coming up in
2: the next few years in L.A.,
3: Pressure's on, I guess, right?
2: <laughs> thanks so much, Jared. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Greg. Thanks to Jared Stoll. That was really good. I love the rapid fire. I actually am surprised that Chris Pronger got that long of a look, Jason, in terms of that question, given how well Doughty. And, you know, the other part of that, he could have made it Jonathan Quick. I know that would have been comparing goalie and defenseman, but, man, good question there. And really interesting stuff on Daryl Sutter as well. And let's talk a little bit about Jock MKT. Everyone knows that the stock market itself is like legalized gambling. Tell me a little bit more about our newest sponsor. Yeah,
1: we're pumped to have him on board. So here's the easiest one where I'll say it. So let's say at a golf tournament. So you start on Monday and you can buy in shares if you would have wanted to buy in on Bryson DeChambeau on Thursday, right? You start out. And then as he plays well, his shares go up. If a guy struggles, his shares go down. And you can decide when you want in the tournament to sell off. Right, And so if you buy in at 50 cents a share, and all of a sudden he's leading after round one, well, his shares are up. So then you can sell off or just like the stock market, if you want to continue on, you can then make more or potentially if a guy has a, has a tough day on Saturday, well then you know his stocks are going to crash down. so it's pretty sweet. I think it's a lot of fun for people who who kind of deem themselves uh, who like the stock market but feel like hey you know what I know who's playing well in in the in sports events and especially for golf and you know it's coming to Canada uh, very soon here in the uh, in the new year and uh, that's pretty cool to see what it is. so it's very easy just go to jock Dot com. It's available on the app store as well. And, and you can play around and, and see what you like about it. We'll have some new things. Ty's probably the, the more resident gambler on our show. So uh, we'll have him in on uh, on Friday's show, giving us a little bit of a rundown on how it's going to work. It's going to be in, available in Canada very soon. It's coming in Canada. So right now for all of our uh, all of our listeners in the U.S., I'd recommend it. Get into uh, jockmkt.com.
2: Yeah, so interesting uh, seeing Daryl, talking about Daryl Sutter, but also... Curious to see how long it's going to take for him to make an impact. He's dealing with the quarantine at the moment. We're dealing with a Daryl Sutter coach team, even though he's not on the bench. I saw a tweet. uh, Should he, should this count toward these games count towards his record? Of course they should not count towards his record. He's not on the bench, not actually making an impact, not physically in the room talking to guys. So, um, you know, my question for you, Jason is, is it too little too late for the flames? Like the math, really starts to work against them there in the north.
1: Oh, totally. They they've got to go on a real big run and and that's why the fact that he got a 3-year deal, I think Calgary was looking like, yeah, we want to salvage this season, of course, and you still can. We've, you know, I know it's a shorter season so it's harder, but everybody remembers what happened to the Blues. They came out of nowhere and just went on a massive run. So, you know, the one advantage Calgary has is they will be playing all the teams that they're chasing. And so, you know, and I'm sure Daryl Sutter will come in with a control your own destiny angle and everything like that and, and get them to play more consistent. But, you know, the loss last night to Ottawa, it's a tough one. That's Ottawa's first victory. I think, uh, you know, uh, what is it, west of uh, Toronto, right? Because they hadn't come in and had one in Vancouver or Edmonton or Calgary or whatever. But Ottawa, it's funny here, Frank. Since January 30th, Ottawa is eight and seven against the North, excluding Edmonton because Edmonton swept them four times, but they're, they're suddenly playing well. So they're not a team to, to overlook and, and Calgary now is going to, they're going to have to go on a great run. It's going to be difficult to do, but it's possible, but I think it's going to be hard. And, and I'm curious, I think this is more so Frank about seeing who Daryl Sutter likes, which guys are going to relate to him, who's going to react positively to Daryl Sutter And and I think this could lead into a very interesting offseason. I'm curious about Sam Bennett, because in theory, a lot of people think Sam Bennett, the style of player, should work well. Daryl Sutter, just play hard, give us everything you've got, that maybe that will work. But is it too little too late for Sam Bennett to be salvaged in Calgary?
2: Yeah, I I think, look, everyone probably starts with a a clean slate. So um, I think there's a chance for things to change for him. I think there's a chance for things to change for this team. You mentioned the inner division play. Like, I'm not willing to write them off yet because, you know, just mathematically, you know, let's say they win the bulk of the Battle of Alberta games. Like, they're going to be in the mix against the Oilers, the team they're chasing in points percentage. So, say nothing of the fact that they're going to get their crack at the Montreal Canadiens again. And so, the inner division play, like, I, I think – You know, previously in in a typical 82-game season with the schedule spread out, you know, you'd say at this point, yeah, it's going to be almost impossible for the Flames to make it up. But I I don't think that's the case this year.
1: Yeah, I look at the North. I'm very intrigued by the East. Like the Central, you know, their top three teams are pretty separated. It's whether or not Columbus and, you know, Dallas, I just – I think they've got too many games in hand and too short a time to make up ground. So kind of Columbus –
2: I I got I was looking at the standings this morning though. And I got to say about Dallas, they're 12 points back and they've got six games in hand. Like I know they'd need to win all 12, but that's just to tie. Like, you know, you go on a winning streak coupled with the team you're chasing comes back to earth a little bit, which I think will happen in the case of a couple teams. And all of a sudden the race looks a lot different. They only really need to win three or four of those games to really make it interesting.
1: Yeah. I just, I just think they got too many games in a short period of time. And you know, you're, you're playing catch up. It's hard enough playing catch up. Then you throw in, you're playing, I don't know what, what all those games. And you're you're playing even more than every second day because of their schedule to May 10th. And I, I, I just think fatigue is eventually going to be their, their bigger, uh, uh, arch nemesis more than even who they're playing. So, uh, you know, the East is the one though, now that there's five teams for sure. And the New York Rangers don't count out the Rangers. Suddenly they're all of a sudden fairly competitive. And obviously the West has four teams. I, I before we go, Frank, I just want to quickly get your thoughts on Colorado. Um, a lot of people thought like Colorado is just going to dominate this year. That hasn't yep. been the question. Are, are they sleeping in the weeds? Or is there something that you don't like about their team thus far?
2: I don't really like their goaltending. Um, I think something is just a little off there this year, and I, I can't quite put my finger on on what it is. Um, you know, they're a team that, last time I checked, still actually has the, they're, they're, they were the odds-on favorite to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, they've been in that mix all year, and you're right. Everyone thought this team would be a group of world beaters and in a clear class of their own in, in that division and Vegas has been the better team. They've gotten the better of them, um, you know, when they've met and, you know, it's, I don't know, will they get it together? And, and, you know, the big thing last year we looked at was the goaltending and we were saying, well, yeah, look freak, you know, freak set of circumstances, both their goalies go down. They need to go to their third goalie in the playoffs. And, and that of course is a big reason why they lose. Well, it's not a health issue at this point you know, does Joe Sackick have to make a move for a goaltender and, and who's out there? Like, you know, you take a look at our trade bait board. That's the one position that's missing. There's a couple teams now that are looking for goaltenders. The Pittsburgh Penguins are one. I have to think the Colorado avalanche are in that mix. And then I mentioned last time on the show, the Washington capitals, like they, they need a veteran probably at some point, Are you going to bet a a cup contending roster on essentially two rookies in Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov? Lots of questions. I'd have to think that goaltending is toward the top of Joe Sackick's list. I I just don't know who's available. You know, I wonder about a guy like Kemper in Arizona. I, I, I don't really know, like, would the Kings trade Jonathan Quick? He's been so good. Like, this team, if they're rebounding and could be a playoff team next year, do you, do you really want to move quick with a manageable cap hit and, and is Peterson enough to hang your hat on for a team that's moving in that direction?
1: That's fascinating. As we get uh, inch closer to the trade deadline we'll, on Friday show coming up, we'll have uh, more looking at focuses, names you're hearing as uh, everything is is always moving around here in the, in the final four weeks leading up to the trade deadline. Uh, once again, uh, thanks to Jared Stoll for joining us. Uh, thanks to uh, jockmkt.com for joining us as a sponsor on the show. And we'll talk to you on Friday, Frank. Have a good one.
2: Sounds good, Jason. Talk to you then.
0: Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Sarvali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Face-Off Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions. We'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear. And you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.